who are, are struggling through um, trials and through pain. And I pray that you would reach down your hands of love and hold them and give them a touch of your grace and your, your, uh, your help. A lot of us have been really ashamed at our own doubts or behavior or, you know, what we've done. And, and God, we need you to just reach down and bring healing and, and cleansing. And then a lot of us may just be running from you. God, and I pray that you would open our hearts and turn us around with your great love. And Father, we pray that your word would speak powerfully with true authority into our hearts today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for praying. Um, it's, it's awesome to be part of a family uh, that, that lifts each other up. And, and thank you guys for being a part of what God is doing. Again, we're talking about situations today. I'm going to recap kind of what we've learned a little bit. Um, Jesus is the ox. So we have like this kind of image for the whole book of Mark. Uh, he represents Jesus as an ox. He shows Jesus to be an ox, which means that Jesus is like, the, uh, a servant, the perfect servant doing God's will. And uh, so in doing that, what we've seen as we've gone through chapter one of Mark is Mark has been brilliantly just showing us how this happens. First, we saw Jesus identify with us sinners, uh, taking our yoke upon him. So if he's an ox, he took our yoke upon him when he got baptized because he wasn't a sinner. So why would he get baptized? Well, because he loves you and he chose to come and serve God by lifting you up and meeting your needs. So then we saw that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, God sent down a dove, filled Jesus up with the Holy Spirit, and that was the power Jesus needed to serve God. And then we saw that the Spirit uh, moved Jesus out into the desert to be tempted by Satan. Uh, who was going to oppose Jesus. And so this was going to be the opposing force in the whole book of Mark. There's going to be a spiritual war going on between Jesus and Satan and demons. And uh, we saw the beginning of that with that temptation, but we saw Jesus having victory over it. Then we see that Jesus summarizes his kingdom work, that his job he's been hired to do, his work is to bring God's kingdom to fix everything that's wrong with the world. And that is a big job. No one else could do it, but Jesus says, that is my job. And we saw that that was described in Isaiah chapter 61. So uh, we, we looked pretty in depth at that. Then we studied how Jesus called for fishermen to come follow him. And we learned what it meant to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. You guys remember that one? You guys been following Jesus since then? It's been helping me, I'll tell you what, I've been thinking about that ever since that sermon. I've been thinking about following Jesus every day. Um, then, Jesus, last week we, started, we studied that he began his public work of teaching people about God's grace and casting out demons. And that means he's been telling people about how much God loves them and how much he's going to do for them, and then he's going to defeat the power of the enemy. That's what we talked about last week. That gets us to today. So we just summarized everything that we've learned to today. And now Jesus is going to begin to publicly show his disciples just how far his authority goes and just how powerful he is and how that power and that life is daily supplied to him. So that's what we're going to learn about today. 
how the power and life of God is daily supplied to Jesus today and how we're going to apply that to our life. His, his authority is going to be um, seen in all of our situations. So situations is our key word for today. Is God in control of our situations? Every situation in your life, is God in control? Yes. That's an easy question, right? God is sovereign. He is in charge. Now this, this butts up with an idea that we hold very dear, which is that God is good and God loves me. So if God loves me, how can he let crud happen in my life? Right? Do you see the, the conflict there? Well, we're going to learn about that today. We're going to see why. We, we all get situations, unique situations to us. We might feel like they're all messed up situations, and sometimes they're our fault, or sometimes they're not our fault. But we all have these situations that happen. Sometimes we call them trials, or if you're really spiritual, tribulations, or difficulties, or children or jobs, or marriage. But today we'll just call them situations, okay? So let's get into uh, our text here. Mark chapter 1, verse 29 is where we're going to start. It says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and he told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately her fever left her and she served them. This is the same day that Jesus went into the synagogue and taught the people about God's grace and cast out a demon. You remember that day? What day of the week is that? Sabbath, right? Saturday, okay? And so that, that is the day. This is still the Sabbath, all right? So Peter, who Mark is interviewing Peter, and that's how he's getting most of the content for this book, Peter is giving us an insight into his personal growth and faith. You know, he just heard Jesus bring all the good news of grace to church where he just was at, okay? So Peter's like, all right, I'm smelling what you're stepping in here, Jesus, I have a situation, maybe you can help me out. You know, Jesus at church, he demonstrated his power over evil spirits, casting out a demon, telling that demon, shut up. You are not allowed to talk about me. You don't know me. And so it happens that Peter has this situation and he's got a problem at home. He's got a problem. God had brought this situation into Peter's life. Does God allow suffering in our lives? Yeah, yeah. Again, we should hate to admit that. It's, it's frustrating, but it's very true. God allows suffering and trials into our lives. Do we always find out why God allowed that trial into our lives? No, sometimes we do. Sometimes we're like, oh yeah, I was a total idiot. That's when it, it was kind of our fault. And God allowed it. Sometimes the suffering had nothing to do with me. Someone just was a jerk to me for no reason. And, and we have to say, yes, God does allow that. And sometimes we don't understand why God allows. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't a reason. 
God says there's always a reason. I'm always in control. I always understand the reason, and I'm not always going to share with you what that reason was. But what is going on is you and I are learning to trust God when we can't figure out the reason and when we can't even uh, understand how there could be a reason. We are learning to trust God that there is a reason for our suffering, but we don't have to know the reason because we know the God that holds us. Then we know the God that loves us. And that makes having a reason be inconsequential. Okay, God, I can believe that you love me even if I don't see it and I don't feel it. I can trust that you love me even if the evidence doesn't point my heart that way. Okay? And that's, that's where we are growing, and that's where Peter is growing today. So what is Peter going to do? He has, he's, is he going to hide this situation from Jesus? Well, what's cool is that he tells Jesus about it. He asks Jesus for help, which we could call pray. He's gonna, he prays. He comes straight to Jesus. G, Peter brings his situation to the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you what they would usually do during that day. There's a book called the Talmud, which is the Jewish um, how to be a godly person for dummies. And it was this big book, way bigger than the Bible, that gave all kinds of instructions on how to believe the Bible and how to follow the Bible. Okay? So in the Talmud, it, it, it gives us some, some information. Again, Peter's uh, mother-in-law's suffering was from what the Talmud called a burning fever, okay, which was uh, um, uh, and still is very prevalent in that part of Galilee. And in the Talmud, it says you have to do this if someone gets a burning fever. You have to get a knife made wholly of iron and tie it to a braid of hair uh, to a thorn bush. So tie someone's hair to a knife to a thorn bush and leave it there for three days. Leave the person tied to a thorn bush for three days with an iron knife. On the first day, you repeat Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, like a hundred times. On the second day, you repeat Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, like a hundred times. And on, ex- and on the third day, you repeat Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, a hundred times. And then there's a certain magical formula that happens, and then this cure magically happens. And that's literally what everyone did when someone got this fever. So when Peter comes and he comes and just says, hey, Jesus, I got this problem. Peter is totally bucking the system. Peter is totally saying, I'm going to do something wildly different than what the whole world is doing right now. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to ask Jesus for some help here. And Jesus completely disregards this popular magic that was very popular among all the Jews, even in their Bible book, is what they were, where they got this. And, uh, and with, with one word, Jesus just heals her. He demonstrates his authority. So how does Jesus respond when Peter brings his sick situation to him? Uh, we see four things here in the text that Jesus does for us. It, it says he came. Okay, willingly, he got into the situation that Peter brought to him. Jesus is not ashamed of how dirty and sick we are and our situations are. 
he understands that we might be embarrassed of our situations, but he's not embarrassed to get in there and get into your situation. I remember once my mom read a book about Mother Teresa, and Mother Teresa uh, had someone come and visit her and, and was like, okay, what can I do to help? And Mother Teresa's like, see that person over there with leprosy and disease all over him? Go give them a, a sponge bath. And the person was like, ew, gross. And Mother Teresa was like, I'll do it then. And she goes over there and she gives her the sponge bath. And I, that was a really great example of not being ashamed or embarrassed of how dirty someone's situation is. Jesus illustrates that for us right here. Again, think in your mind, what is the situation that you got going on right now? What is your situation? Oh, my boss is a jerk. My kids, my spouse, my, my sickness, it's gross. I, my, my mind, my, my emotions... They're all running wild, running amok. Jesus is saying, just bring them to me. Come to me with this. He, it says, he came willingly. Those two words show the willing, loving heart of Jesus for our situation. Then it says, he took her by the hand. You can see that? Jesus offers a personal touch, an intimate touch offering love and acceptance, taking the hand and drawing her near to himself. That's Jesus' heart for your situation. Well, you don't understand. My, my situation is so messed up, so gross, so impossible. Jesus doesn't, he's not assuaged by any, he's not intimidated by our situation. He says, this is an opportunity for you to feel my hand, to feel my love, this is an opportunity for you to be touched by me. Is that how you look at your situation? Or are we bitter about our situations? God, why'd you bring this situation into my life? God, I, I just, oh, if I could just control my situation. Did I just totally stab you in the heart right there? It seems to be that for us, our idol that we turn to most is that we want to control our situations instead of bring them to Jesus. Do you guys recognize that? Man, and, and when we don't get control, it becomes, I mean, hell hath no fury like someone who is, feels out of control. We just have a really difficult time not being in control. And God understands that, but God also demands that you release control to him. You're not in charge of your situation. You can't stop this situation from happening. You can't make this situation better. So what do we have? If I don't have control, what do I have? I have Jesus, who will come to me, who will reach out his hand and take me by the hand, and I will know his love. I will know his tenderness. And in the right time, he will relieve me of the situation, but I don't get to choose what that right time is. Remember, I don't always get to know the why, and I don't get to control the time. But I do have a relationship with Jesus where he says, I will not leave you or forsake you. And like Peter here, 
bring your situations to me if you want this personal, intimate, loving touch. Now look at the third thing that we see Jesus do here. He lifted her up. There we see his strength is the only thing that was needed. Well, she had a bacterial infection. Jesus can't do nothing for that. Actually, no. He had a mental illness. Can't do anything. Jesus can't fix that. He is terrible at his job. Jesus can't do anything with that. She is this, that, or the other. He can just... The only thing needed was his strength. Jesus knew that. He's like, I can fix all your problems. Jesus knew that. But we don't believe that. Why do you think we try everything else first before coming to Jesus? There's got to be something I can do to transform my situation, to make this better. There's got, maybe if I just did this, maybe if I just took that medicine, maybe this. And I'm not saying medicine's bad. Those are given by God and used by God many times. But it's his strength is the only thing that was needed. Our weakness, our problem, makes no difference to him. Well, I mean, God could do something, but I'm just so weak. I've messed up so much. God can't really do anything with me. I am, I, I am disqualified. That's not in Scripture. You're not disqualified. Your weakness is not even a problem for God because his strength is so much stronger than your weakness. Our weakness is something to be leaned into, to, to, to be highlighted for ministry. Not, well, he's a really good preacher, or, man, he's really good at, at doing the right thing all the time, keeping all the rules. I asked Ben when he came in, you've been keeping all the rules, Ben? And Ben's like, oh, I stayed up all night last night to keep up all the rules. And I love that, because in our sarcasm, a great truth was highlighted right there. That it doesn't matter how weak we are. It's his strength that gets us through. Amen? Amen. I hope you didn't stay up all night. Okay, good. We're on the same page. All right, so his, he lifted her up. Peter's, or Peter is learning that Jesus is the solution to no matter what the situation is. And then it says, and the fever left her. So what we see here is Jesus is showing that he is God's authority, the, the, has authority over your situations. Jesus does, which is great because Jesus loves you. We've already learned that Jesus has demonstrated authority in knowing God when he walked into the, to the synagogue and he taught everyone, this is how to know God. How do I know? Because I know God, so eat it. And all the people were like, whoa, none of us know God like that. And they were blown away by it. That was last week. Then the evil spirit in the, in the same day, Jesus showed that he is also the authority over all the spiritual powers of darkness. So when an evil spirit said, wait, 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 I want to influence these people away from you, Jesus. Jesus is like, shut up, Get, be gone, never come back again. And that spirit had to leave because Jesus had the authority over all evil spirits. Now Jesus is demonstrating that he has authority over all sicknesses and every situation. This is mind-blowing. So all of your sin-soaked situations that you feel like, my, I probably deserve this. 
I probably shouldn't even pray about this one. Jesus is saying, no, bring it to me. You will learn from me that I have such love for you. I will give you mercy. I will pour out grace. I will draw near to you. Sickness is a result of sin. Now, it might not be your sin. It might not be your parents' sin, but we could probably hang it all on Adam. He infected this world and all of us with sin in the Garden of Eden. And sin or sickness is a curse that he earned from his rebelling against God. And Jesus teaches that it's not always our sin or our parents' sin. Sometimes we're chosen to represent the brokenness that Adam inflicted on this world way back in the garden. Sometimes you just get the lucky, you get to represent it. You got cancer. It's what it is. Because all men are living there. And if we were chosen to suffer now, it's so that God can be glorified when he heals us. That's the purpose, the overarching purpose for us, either now or in heaven. Again, we don't get to choose how that healing happens. It could be now or it could be in heaven. But Jesus has the power and willingness to overrule the curse. That's what he's showing right here. There's this woman, this Peter's mother-in-law should have been sick because she's a sinner. She's a child of Adam and he was a sinner. And Jesus unexplicably in love and grace is saying, I get to decide no. I get to give mercy. I get to show my power and say, not sick anymore. This is going to make a lot of people angry. A lot of evil spirits are going to be angry about this. He has the power and willingness to overrule the curse that was pronounced on Adam. He, and where did the, it says the fever left her, but I want to know where did the fever go? And what's really cool is that Jesus actually takes our curse into his body on the cross. And he allows God to destroy it with his anger and wrath on the cross. Our curse that we earned, that Peter's mother-in-law's curse, which was, which was manifested by sickness, Jesus took out of her and he went into the future and he put it in his own body on the cross and he, des he destroyed it. Such an amazing, loving thing. We're going to see this ties into many more things. But in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 and 4, it says this, speaking directly of Jesus, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs. Do you see that word? Born. He has taken them upon him, our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. When did we esteem him smitten and afflicted by God? On the cross, Right? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. So each time Jesus heals, and we're going to see him heal lots of people in this book. We're going to refer back to this. He is showing his perfect servant heart of love, that he is the ox of God, that he is the um, servant that is taking our curse upon his back 
And on the cross, he's going to destroy it forever. He, dis- he, he heals by destroying the curse in his own body. Now, there's much debate on if Isaiah is talking about spiritual healing or physical healing. Okay? Was he talking when he says, by his stripes we're healed, that all of our spiritual stuff or, or even physical sickness, like today, we should experience healing? Well, in Matthew chapter 8, it seems to be physical healing that's described. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it seems to be spiritual healing that's described. You guys can look at those on your own. But we can safely say that both aspects of healing are in view. That, that Isaiah was talking about both. Our physical healing and our spiritual healing is provided for by the suffering of Jesus. However, some people have taken this to mean that every believer has the right or the promise to perfect health right now. And if there's any lack of health, it's simply because you have not claimed this promise in faith. And that view is wrong because it depends on a past tense only interpretation of the healing. It it demands that everything be past tense. By his stripes, we are healed. Everything has already happened. But that's not how things are explained in the Bible. The Bible says you're saved, right? So that, but that's not just past tense. It's past tense, we were saved, but we are being saved and we shall be saved. All three exist at the same time, past, present, and future. And I think our healing works the exact same way. There will be an ultimate healing in the resurrection, the future. We are being healed, experiencing healing all the time as we pray and come to Jesus. And we have been healed, past, present, and future. So when we experience healing, or when we pray for healing, and we don't see it in this world, that doesn't mean you didn't have faith. It just means God chooses when we experience the different parts or time frames of that healing. This can be a big deal when you're struggling with cancer and you don't know why you're not being healed. And the enemy comes, the devil comes, and he says, you don't have enough faith. Look, God promised to heal you. You can say, I know God promised, and God is faithful to that promise. So I will wait upon him. I will trust him. Even if he sends me to my grave, I will still trust him, and his promise will still come to true, even if he has to raise me from the dead, which he will. So by his stripes, we are healed. Notice, here's a Spurgeon quote. Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote. Will you notice that the healing of a sinner does not lie in himself, nor in what he is, nor in what he feels, nor in what he does, nor in what he vows, nor in what he promises? It is not in himself at all, but there in the pavement that was stoned with the blood of the Son of God, and there at Golgotha with the place of the skull that beholds the agonies of Christ, it is in his stripes that the healing lies. I beseech thee, do not scourge yourself, for with his stripes we are healed. Man, Spurgeon is the best preacher. (laughs) So, should we pray for and expect healing? Yes. We should pray for and expect healing. We should pray for that healing in faith, not giving up. Keep praying. And if healing does not come right away, then we should view that sickness as having a special purpose sent from God for either us or someone that's observing us. There's a reason why you got sick. There's a reason. 
And we should view it that way. We should see it that way and trust God in that. It's a purposeful, purposefully designed trial to grow our trust in God and to show his power and love maybe at a different time than we want. But it will be seen. Knowing that the healing is still guaranteed, but we don't know what time it will be displayed in our life. So what do we do? Well, Paul says, be content in every situation. But bring those situations to God, to Jesus. And in simple faith, ask for him to fix them. Ask for him to feel his hand in those situations, depending on his strength and on his power. I'm going to read to you what I just quoted from Paul. Philippians 4, verse 11. Now I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Any situation. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's so cute when when guys get this tattooed, I can win all sports games through Christ who strengthens me. When that's not what it's talking about. He's talking about, I can lose through Christ who strengthens me. I can die through Christ who strengthens me. I can give up on being the hero. I can be a loser. And it's okay. Because Christ loves me Jesus strengthens me, and all those situations, they don't bring meaning to my life. We are not defined by our struggle, by our situation, by our suffering. We're defined by Christ and his work in our life. That's who we are. So be content in every situation. How are we supposed to do that? He says, through Christ. That means abide in him. Ask him for the healing. Believe that there's no way he would ever say no to his beloved child because he loves you. Even though we may have to wait, the answer is always yes. You will be healed. But you might have to wait. And there may be more suffering that you have to go through before you're healed. It might not even be in this lifetime that you see it, but you will taste it and it will be delicious when you are healed. Now it says that Peter's mother-in-law served them. She got up and served them. Look at this. It's, remember what day this is? What day of the week is this? Okay, so she's a rule breaker. This is the Sabbath. She is not allowed to be working. It's still the Sabbath afternoon, but she isn't bothered by the rules anymore. She has been healed. She has been set free. And she starts preparing the end of Sabbath meal for them because it's on her heart to be loving and meet the needs of others. See, those, those rules about the Sabbath that they were concerned about, those were man-made rules, not God-made rules. And she's set free. Sabbath ends at sunset on Saturday. It starts at sunset on Friday night, ends at sunset. So let's see what happens now. At evening, Mark chapter 1, verse 32, at evening when the sun had set, Sunset, so now the Sabbath is over. They brought him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases. You could call them situations. And cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Or... 
He did not, another way you could translate that last little phrase is he did not allow to, them to say that they knew him because they don't know him. You can't say you know me. Remember that whole conversation last week? He's saying, shut your mouth. You don't know me, demons. I don't want you telling people things about me when you don't know me. Note, Jesus' doctrine is Satan's destruction. What, what Jesus is bringing, what Jesus is doing, is destroying the works of Satan. So after the Sabbath restrictions are lifted, the people swarm to Jesus. Uh, you know, they've heard that he can actually do something to fix the broken world that they live in, so they're coming to him. And Jesus heals all that come to him, and he casts out the demons, and he's probably tired at the end of this, okay? He puts their needs before his own. He cares about their situations. And Jesus is getting really popular in this little city. Things are going really well in his ministry. People love uh, when you care about them and when you make their lives better. Okay, so Jesus is getting pretty popular. So this is really the time to capitalize on the momentum. Okay, maybe they should write up some bylaws and start an organization that would continue this good work for years to come. Maybe, uh, you know, let's take what this man did, let's make it a movement. And then, and then that movement can become a machine where we're just always doing the same things. And then pretty soon it's a museum where everything is dead in it. And this is the problem that happens with so many churches and church movements. They start off like, oh, Jesus is doing a great work and healing and doing great things. And then 10 years go by, and it's just a machine that's always doing the same things. It's not really sensitive to the Holy Spirit, not really open to what God is doing now. And then after a while, it's just dead. And I could name denomination after denomination after denomination right now that is simply a museum. You walk in and you're like, <gasps> it's totally dead in here. And there may be even people, old people, young people, doesn't matter. But you walk in and you're like, is anyone even alive? It's like night at the museum. No, Jesus has a different plan, okay? Look what happens, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus knew that being busy was not an excuse to not pray. But that's my excuse, right? It's probably your excuse. Have you spent time in prayer today? Oh, I was so busy. From the moment I got up to the moment I went to bed, I was so busy. Jesus says, that is no excuse. He says, he got up early to invest more time in prayer, not less. And in prayer, in secret prayer, our hearts are taught and led by God, and we experience sweet fellowship with God in those secret places. Our souls feed on his love and faithfulness. Our spirit is strengthened by him and him alone. Oh, I'll get, I'll get pumped up when I go to church on Sunday, when I'm around my peeps, when I go to youth group. God said, Jesus is showing us that does not work. We come to church to pour out, not to, not to receive mainly. 
Jesus says, my father is the one who pours into me the strength and the life that I need to daily do my life, daily do the the calling, the work that he has called me to do. There is much that a Christian, uh, in our Christian life that can only be learned and experienced in a solitary place with God. We learn, I see, three lessons from this prayer of Jesus here that we see. For Jesus, fellowship with God is something more than just on the Sabbath. So for him, his relationship with God wasn't just at church. It was every day, and church was a time for pouring out and connecting with people. Secondly, I see Jesus wanted to be alone to pray. He wanted that. It was, he was thirsty for it. And he wanted to be alone so that he could pour out his heart to his Father. He, he wanted to get alone with God. Get alone with God. Get alone with God. Get alone with God. And I wrote it down one more time. Get alone with God. Then it says, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. You're so popular. Come on, let's go do this. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. I bet uh, Simon Peter thought that Jesus would be super excited that people were excited or seeking him, you know? And that he was getting popular, but Jesus wasn't excited about that. He was only interested in doing exactly what his father had given him to do that morning. He wasn't about growing this. He said, my father already told me this morning, I'm going somewhere else. So that's what we're doing. Let's go. Even if it doesn't make human sense. And that's why Jesus shows us what it means to be faithful. He shows us how a perfect man would live. A perfect man looks to his father and does what his father asks. That's what man was created to do. To be obedient and faithful. And that's what Jesus shows us that he does. So pop quiz, what day of the week are we now on? Sunday? Right, Sunday. The first day of the week is called Sunday in in this culture. So here we see Jesus rising early, and people looking for him on the first day of the week. Does that remind you of anything? Yeah, the resurrection. This is so cool. It's a perfect foreshadow of the resurrection of Jesus. What does this mean to us? Why is Mark giving us such a perfect foreshadow of the resurrection? Because Mark is teaching us, and this has blew my mind, Mark is teaching us that in order to do daily ministry, we need to experience resurrection life like Jesus did. We need to experience his resurrection just like Jesus is showing us. And how do we experience resurrection? Through relationship and fellowship with our Father, just like Jesus did. You get resurrection. Jesus says, you get, I rose from the dead, so you can rise from the dead. So when you wake up in the morning, you get access to resurrection life. Why? So that you can serve the Lord with new life and new power that day. Every day, resurrection life is given to you. 
But we, you know what we do? We wake up and we're like, what's the right thing to do? Okay, I'm going to do it with all my effort. I'm going to try my best. When Jesus showed us that's not how it happens. Where did it say Jesus got up and went and tried his hardest? No. It says he got up and poured into relationship with his father, let his father's love pour into him, and that created the, the, that gave him the power to walk in God's will, to say no to things that made him popular, instead do the things that God wanted him to do. God cared about some lost person in another city, and he said, you're my servant, go care for that person. And Peter's like, no, we got to stay here and do this. And Jesus is like, I'm listening to my father. Here's what I think God wants us to see today. God wants us to see, God wants us to see that his power in life is daily supplied to us through fellowship with our Father. Jesus enjoyed real intimate fellowship with God alone. And that's exactly what his eternal plan is for you. Jesus is going to make a way for us to enjoy the exact same fellowship he just had with his father. This morning, Jesus woke up early and he had the most blessed experience any human being can have. He had real, true, intimate connection with his father. The father spoke to him and he replied back. He had a real relationship. And that is the greatest ecstasy any human being can experience. A real connection with God. And it's available in your circumstance today. That's what God's got for us today. No matter what your circumstance is, no matter how much you're hurting, no matter how boring it seems, no matter how much you have to wait or how brutal it feels, God says the supreme experience is available to you that any human being has ever had, it's available to you right now through fellowship with God. And we experience fellowship with God by a resurrection life experience where we, we die to our life and we're raised by the power of God to new life. And that happens by faith. But that's what Jesus is preparing the way for. He already has it. He's showing it to us in this book of Mark. And he, but you and I live in the world now where he's died and he's risen from the dead and he said, now you get resurrection, so go every morning, be raised. Experience, fellowship with your heavenly father. Spurge and quote again. Look no man in the face till you have seen the face of God. Speak with no one until you have had speech with the most high. Let the life of Christ be poured into you before you think you can pour into other people. This is the job of the Messiah, the the servant of God, the ox, to pour in, to make a way for us to be able to have this relationship with God, this connection. Hebrews 7.19 says, For the law made nothing perfect, on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we What? Draw near to God. 
we draw near to God. So in other words, he says the old way of trying to be accepted by God through hard work and law-keeping performance, it never worked. You get up in the morning, you're like, okay, got to prove myself to God. Let me go do the dishes. Let me go do these things. Let me go uh, you know, help the homeless and do all these things. Okay, God, are we good? Can I come, uh, come into your presence now? Never works, ever, because you always fail. You never do enough. It's never good enough. It never works. God says, I've, I've scrapped that whole system The new system, the new way is better than God. He says, Jesus does all the work. Jesus dies. Jesus rises from the dead. You put your hope in Jesus. Then you can just come into my presence and spend time with me. No works needed. Jesus did all the works. You're free. You are free to just have a real relationship with God, even if you're a crummy idiot. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen? We are free. We can have this real relationship with. There is no situation that should keep you from it. There is every situation is an opportunity to draw near to God through this new covenant of his love. Every situation. Man, I just got, you know, I don't know what I, I you have enough examples today. All right, Spurgeon quote number 3. I was feeling me some Spurgeon this week. Sorry. Woe unto the man whose devotion is observed by everybody, but who, off, who never offers secret prayer. Secret prayer is the secret of prayer. The soul of prayer, the seal of prayer, the strength of prayer. If you do not pray alone, you do not pray at all. I don't care whether you pray in the street or in the church or in the barrack room or in the cathedral, but your heart must speak with God in secret, or you have not prayed. Let's pray. Father, we come right into your presence, and and we have so many various situations, so many uh, trials and, and struggles, and even hurt, pain, things that we don't deserve, or maybe things that we totally deserve, that we feel like we're, we're, we're just destined to suffer. And Jesus, I pray that we would bring all of those situations to you and, and lay them at your feet, trust you to reach your healing hand out and heal our situations and touch our hearts. And I pray that we would leave those, not claw back and, oh, maybe if I control it, maybe if I take it back, I can do something, but truly just give our situations over to you. And then I pray that we would follow your example and we would draw near through the new way of your life as our Messiah, our Savior. As we simply believe and trust in you, God, you have called us to draw near to you. You have made a way for us to draw near to you completely irrelevant of our works even if we have sinned more today than we ever have in our life, Jesus, you is still invite us in. And that is unbelievable. And I have wasted so many of my days and my hours just not believing and just neglecting to draw near. I'm reminded of the promise in James, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. 
And those who were far off, you have brought near by your precious blood. Our hope and confidence is in nothing except your blood, Jesus. God, we we ask for you to do a deep, freeing work in our hearts today. Would you all stand with me? As we sing this song and as we uh, take communion, I, I beg you to do it in freedom. Placing all your hope and confidence in what Jesus has done for you on the cross and enjoy the fellowship that he has won for you. Give all your Give all your situations over to his control. Surrender control today. And receive the good promise and token that he will keep his word, which is take communion. Remember his body was broken. His blood was poured out. And and take those in faith saying, I believe that you care for me, that you will You will work out these situations according to your will and I submit control to you.